Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today are Dr. Stacy Pettyjohn and Becca Wasser of the Center for a New American Security at the Think Tank. Stacy is the director of the defense program, while Becca is the co-lead of the Gaming Lab. They are the co-authors of the thought-provoking piece, Why the Pentagon Should Abandon Strategic Competition that appeared last week in Foreign Policy. Guys, welcome back to the program. Uh, and before we get started, Leonardo DRS uh, sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. And Raphael USA sponsored our coverage of the Association of the United States Army's recent 2021 uh, annual meeting and trade show. Uh, guys, uh, every new administration brings its own approach uh, to strategy. This administration is no exception. The Obama administration sort of introduced the idea of great power competition. Uh, even though it was very reticent to keep using the, the China word, indeed, toward the latter part of the administration, National Security Advisor Susan Rice was trying to stop folks from 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 using uh, or, or keep talking about China. Um, that was a losing battle in part. Uh, and strategists maintain that you have to be clear about the threat, yeah. especially if you're leading a large and complex organization and trying to get it aligned and get it moving with some alacrity. The Trump administration made strategic competition the centerpiece. Uh, of its well-regarded national security strategies and national defense strategies. Now the Biden team is working on its own NSS and its own NDS, but appears to be moving away from this strategic competition mindset uh, as, it, as it does so, right? As we've heard from Deputy Defense Secretary Kath Hicks is making it clear that the, the phrase uh, is a little bit out of fashion. Talk to us about the argument you're making and why it's important for the Pentagon to uh, abandon uh, the phrase. Stacy, why don't you start us off? Well, I think what we, we've been arguing um, going back to our report, Risky Business from CNAS, is that the Pentagon needs to narrowly focus on the things that it can exclusively do and that it does best um, because the challenges that it faces in strengthening conventional nu nuclear deterrence right now against a great power adversary like China or even Russia are, are fairly significant. And there's a lot of ground that needs to be made up. Um, so from our perspective, uh, strategic competition is an idea that is useful for the entire government, the interagency process, but that the, the Pentagon needs to narrowly focus on the military problems that it alone can solve and that uh, the administration needs to um, build upon the clarity that the 2018 NDS provided in terms of specifying the main threat and explicitly prioritizing China and uh, high-end deterrence, but they sort of muddied the waters by introducing the strategic competition concept and that uh, the Biden administration folks need to go further in terms of being explicit and narrowly focusing on high-end deterrence for the Defense Department. So, oh, go ahead, Becca. So if I can jump in there, you know, I think the idea of strategic uh, competition was introduced in the 2018 NDS under the Trump administration. And what happened was a differentiation in what 
uh, folks at the Pentagon meant who were writing the NDS and why interstate strategic competition with China and Russia made its way into that guidance versus how uh, that guidance played out when it was actually implemented. So the implementation of the national defense strategy is really what uh, further muddied the waters here, and which is really where you had uh, folks using this idea of strategic competition, however ill-defined, uh, for their own purposes and their own benefits. You know, the Pentagon and, um, you know, the broader uh, Defense Department, it has so many different constituent parts. And for the most part, everyone is trying to protect their own turf, their own assets, their own resources. And strategic competition kind of became the quick and easy button that you could hit in order to protect your resources or to get more. And we saw this a lot um, really playing out at the combatant commands level, where you had regions like the Middle East that were arguably of less importance to uh, great power competition, to countering uh, China and Russia in their own backyards, but that this idea of strategically competing with China in the Middle East or with Russia in the Middle East to try and outposition them for things like access and influence really became the way in which combatant commanders, um, including those in CENTCOM, uh, were able to get the resources that they wanted. So we saw that this uh, term really morphed into something that was, in our opinion, quite unhelpful to sort of focusing on the task at hand and really prioritizing and using resources in a smart way. So part of our argument there is really that if the Biden administration is going to use the strategic competition terminology and they're, um, they're trying to sort of dice it in a slightly different way than the Trump administration did. They're arguing that strategic competition is really conveying a more um, focused approach and allows them to really um, emphasize specific challengers or different threats and competitors and to help them prioritize. Um, if that's really the case, then we need to see a differentiation of that terminology um, because right now, I don't think it's quite useful, and everyone uh, tends to think of uh, interstate strategic competition and, frankly, what it became uh, when it was implemented after the 2018 NDS. So um, if, um, if the Biden administration wants to be smart about actually prioritizing and focusing on the tasks at hand, uh, that's wonderful and that's great. And we think that that would be a better way to marshal some of the existing resources and some finite resources, uh, but that they have to be specific about what it is that they're trying to do. And maybe adopting a different term might be a smarter way of going about things. HR Master uh, was um, uh, the core of this new notion of great nations strategically competing at every level and that the nation has to get into this mindset, whether it's on the economic front, the military front, diplomatic information, right? He was looking at a world war, uh, at a cold war almost model where we were competing with the Soviet Union at every level, you know, whether it was at the Olympics or anything else. And I will say that when it comes to bad behavior, right, it was transformation uh, was the buzzword, right? I mean, the Pentagon does this at very, very regular, almost year or two year centers, whatever the buzzword is, it gets applied to everything, right? Donald Rumsfeld's big joke was, you know, pretty soon people are going to tell me that a toilet is transformational, you know, when we were in that transformational era uh, 20 uh, years ago. 
is there a danger, uh, Stacy and Becca, want to get your take on this, that you actually get people to roll their eyes when you sort of tell them not to use that phrase, right? I mean, at some point, don't you need to have something that frames how people need to think about the problem and the mindset they need? Because at this point, you know, as we've heard from one leader after another, we're out of time, we have to move quickly. And so clarity is very important at a time like this, as opposed to something that comes across as almost like a, you know, ecumenical or Talmudic discussion on, you know, how you, how you define it, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you call it table tennis, as long as it gets you the right outcome. Words do matter. And in this case, you've seen that imprecise language has led to the wrong outcome. And if you talk to those who were present and helped to develop the 2018 NDS, the the defense strategy, not the security strategy, they were really focused on a high-end deterrence. And they point out that it explicitly prioritizes this, but that in practice, uh, that was not what actually happened. So when you open up these loopholes, um, the different uh, competing parts of the bureaucracy within the Pentagon will find them and try to take advantage of them in order to preserve their resources and to prioritize the missions that they're responsible for and they see as most important. Since so many of these choices are so difficult, as you pointed out at the beginning, and involve sometimes um, divesting of missions or capabilities that are very near and dear to the heart of the services or to the combatant commands, um, you really need to force those hard choices and make sure that there's not an easy out and that there's clarity about what the priority mission is and what needs to be done. Otherwise, they'll find ways to evade them. And so I think here we also have this concept of uh, integrated deterrence. Um, and right now this seems to be the Pentagon's darling. Um, and this is the concept, the uh, at least the concept that it seems as though the next NDS is going to be uh, centered around. You know, there've been uh, some elucidations of what this concept is, um, both uh, Deputy Secretary, uh, Kathleen Hicks, as well as uh, Colin Cal, have talked a little bit about what it means, but again, it's still sort of ill-defined, but to the best of my understanding, it really does talk about uh, trying to do things across the interagency, sort of using all of those levers of power, uh, Vico, that you, me that you mentioned. Um, so thinking a little bit about that, you know, I think it's important, again, that the Pentagon needs to sort of narrow down what integrated deterrence means for the DOD, right? Because what integrated deterrence can mean for the interagency is something slightly different, where perhaps maybe they are relying more on the, uh, you know, the D and the I and the E in dime, um, you know, relying a little bit more on those levers, but that the DOD should really focus on uh, the military leaders and thinking about things that are within their remit and are frankly uniquely within their remit. Um, and that's really what we believe that they should focus on rather than frankly trying to cosplay as the State Department in some cases. That's that's very, very funny, uh, by the way, although I would uh, like to point out to everybody that the DOD policy shop is almost half as large as the entire Foreign Service Officer complement of, of the State Department, right? I mean, so DOD has been cos cosplaying um, the, the State Department for some time. I'm sorry, Stacey, you, you had something you wanted to add. 
No, no, it's much better to talk about uh, Becca's uh, funny remark than what I was going to say. I, I think it does align, however, with what the Biden administration has articulated as their goal, which is right-sizing defense's role in national security policy more broadly. Um, I do take your point, and I think there is something to be said about the mobilizing power of different phrases and the need to generate that sense of urgency and um, to sort of galvanize the rest of the interagency, because within while within the Pentagon, most people are quite aware of China as the pacing challenge and what needs to be done. I think that recognition is lacking in some other parts of the government, um, but this is where the national security strategy can say one thing and the national defense strategy is more pointed and tailored on the military side of the equation and on high-end deterrence, which is a huge problem in and of itself. Um, we know the challenges associated with conventional deterrence and how the balance within East Asia has been eroding and um, moving in a direction that is unfavorable for the United States. But we've also had, there's been a lot of news lately with um, China's uh, nuclear developments in terms of the missile silos that they've been building and the orbital bombardment system with the hypersonic glider that they, it was recently revealed that they tested uh, this summer. Um, nuclear deterrence and shoring that up and figuring out the linkages between conventional and nuclear deterrence to ensure that escalation does not inadvertently occur is really important and um, something that I don't think the Pentagon has been focused on lately. There is a distinction, Stacy, you're making, right, that uh, strategic competition can be a phrase that works in a national security strategy, but that the Pentagon should be more narrowly defined at this. But at the end, you're also talking about bad behavior, right? I mean, ultimately, it's the Pentagon's ability to buzzword something that becomes the problem, right? And so then we end up chasing terms and definitions, which isn't constructive either, right? That's one of the things that gets people to roll their eyes. How, how do we do this in a way that doesn't result in folks going, here go the really smart people and trying to see how many fairies they can fit on the head of a pin or get into a definitional or you know, a rhetorical argument? Or, you know, how, how do we do this to end up at the right place and not have the process actually become something that turns everybody off and takes away from an administration's drive to do the right thing, right? I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot. The opponents of the administration are already marshalling and saying, oh my God, you know, they, they don't know what to call this. Pretty soon they're not going to want to mention the word China again. Um, that, that leads to confusion. So, so how do we get to the behavioral part of this problem and do it in a way that a worthy effort doesn't actually become something that undermines the progress that's being made, if, if you get what I mean? do. Um, I think that they uh, thread that needle by being precise, by not throwing out the ba baby with the bathwater. So there was good in the 2018 NDS and they want to differentiate themselves. And they there are important points of difference between what the Biden administration is doing and what the Trump administration did. And hopefully one of them is actually following through and implementing the strategy. But being precise, being specific, I do think it is important to name names and to focus the energies of the department on the pacing challenge. 
Um, and then it, it really is fairly simple. It is high-end deterrence, both at the conventional and the strategic or nuclear level, that is what the Department of Defense should be focused on. And all of its activities should be seen as somehow supporting and helping to prepare the department um, so that it's better positioned if it does have to fight some sort of conflict. And hopefully the end result is that this bolsters deterrence at both levels and prevents that um, eventuality from ever occurring. And if I can just piggyback on that, I think what Stacy said about trying to focus on high-end deterrence and taking steps that are in concert with that, you know, there's a lot of activities that the department uh, undertakes that some people think sort of fall under this competition rubric. And so we're not saying don't undertake some of those activities. There's some good in there. So thinking about ways in which we can do things like building partner capacity with some of our partners, say, in the Indo-Pacific to better focus on the China challenge. That's important. Um, what, we're, what we're trying to say is don't do building partner capacity, say, everywhere and in a way that doesn't make sense, but instead do it smartly with the right people who are either going to bolster deterrence um, or, you know, partners who are more capable, who frankly might take on um, some additional burden sharing so that the United States can focus on the most important problems at hand, thinking about ways in which we can still do some of those activities that a lot of folks think falls under uh, the umbrella of competition, but doing the right activities in the right places with the right people. That's what's most important. Yeah, this isn't a lost cause. This is something that if we focus <laughs> our efforts and energies on, the department can achieve. And it, one of its main advantages is the fact that we do have alliances mm -hmm. and partners. My concern um, is that it is a large, complicated organization and repetition is key to getting anything done. And the repetition has a way of penetrating and when you start to tell people, we have to think strategically, it's a strategic competition, the challenges are Russia and China, it tends to focus the attention, especially in a force that is in this transitional moment moving away from uh, the, the counterinsurgency, counterterror mindset, right? That's still important and we still have to be engaged in it, uh, right? I mean, we, we've got to do it all, uh, even though allies and partners can help us. But in the end, we're also driving the speed message and it's beginning to penetrate. Now, I mean, this, these messages we've been trying to drive home now for about a decade, right? I mean, if you listen to how strategists, you guys are part of this group as well, have been talking about, hey, we need to be doing Iraq and Afghanistan and all these other operations, but we've got to start focusing on China uh, on the high end. Stacey, you deserve credit, right? You've been talking about this for some time uh, in order to sharpen those high end warfighting skills. Let me... Um, let, me, let me take you to uh, give you guys an opportunity. So where, where does the national security strategy, what are the core things that the administration has to say? What are the elements of the Trump, uh, the Trump documents that need to be retained? What needs to be changed both in the NSS and the NDS so they point us in the right direction given where we are right, right now? Just want to get, get your guys' sense uh, on, on both of those. Stacey, maybe if you want to start us off. I think that uh, what the um, Trump administration got right uh, at the broadest level was the idea of that the 
U.S. Department of Defense has to focus on the most challenging threats that are out there and that they actually went through and prioritized among them. And I believe that going forward, the Biden administration could uh, take that prioritization and actually perhaps further differentiate it um, and, and further delineate it in ways that make it clear where efforts need to go. And sometimes this means that we're not in a world where all of the services and all of the agencies need to be focused on the same threat or the same situation and that a division of labor is something that um, might emerge naturally and be the most efficient way to pursue this. One of the recommendations that we make in our report in, um, is that there's somewhat of a division between the different theaters in terms of where the various services focus their efforts, with the Army obviously being in the forefront in Europe along with the Air Force and the Navy is more supporting. And the reverse is true in the Indo-Pacific where the Air Force and the Navy are in the lead and the Army is the supporting service. And if they are willing to make these type of hard choices, they can actually uh, you know, develop capabilities and refine and iterate on operational concepts so that they are able to effectively uh, fight and deter in, in both of these regions simultaneously without more resources. I mean, I second everything that Stacy said. I think one of the things that folks don't always realize is that you know, every four years you've got, you know, a new national defense strategy. Usually there's a little bit of vestige from the previous one. I think even though things are going to be talked about in uh, a different way with the different terminology, as we've already discussed for most of this conversation, I think there is going to be a fair bit of continuity uh, between the uh, Biden administration's NDS and the Trump era NDS. Uh, but within that, you know, each NDS actually has some additional guidance that, you know, follows from it. Um, and so, you know, each NDS, for example, ends up having an, its own force management concept uh, that's within it. Uh, so, you know, I think that's actually where we're going to see perhaps maybe some of the most differentiation and we should see some differentiation. Uh, you know, the 2018 NDS talked a lot about the idea of, of dynamic force employment operating in, uh, in unpredictable ways. Um, and so, you know, I think here we might see less of that and see a new force management uh, concept come up that sort of undergirds all of it, uh, which frankly, I would be uh, heartened to see. Um, and I think that that's something that we need to continue to look uh, forward to. Um, we, we've got about a minute. Um, so I'm going to let either one or the other of you uh, take this question. Is the administration doing enough of a good job paving the way for what could be big muscle movements uh, next year? Um, there's this sense that the administration thinks it's doing a good job paving the way for hard choices, and it doesn't abundantly seem to be the case to me. Are they doing as good of a job before? Because once you, once you announce the budget and the new plan, I don't think this is something that you very easily sort of brief really quickly. And then all of a sudden, all the people who want more A-10s and no trade-offs are going to be satisfied, right? I mean, they're getting $25 billion from Congress to keep them satisfied, right? 
ultimately are they doing as good of a job and what do they need to start doing right now to pave the way and avoid a potential train wreck next year, which is which could easily happen when lawmakers rebel and the money runs out. No, they're not doing a good enough job communicating it and being clear. And they need to do so um, not only internally within discussions within the department, but externally, especially to key audiences on the Hill and our allies and partners and having a consistent message and a very precise one um, that is also uh, elaborated enough that they can explain why the choices they wanna make are important and that they're showing how the decisions that they wanna make lead to the place where we need to be um, in the future and improving the United States uh, national security. And that conversation should be happening right now with key leaders on the Hill, and they're going to have to continue to have that and to explain it um, if they have any hope of actually making the next defense strategy something that is um, more than just rhetoric and is implemented. Um, Becca, let me ask you a slightly political question that just came to mind. We've got about 30 seconds left. Um, is If the administration gets this wrong, is this a talking point that Republicans can use against Democrats and say, see, there they go. They're stuck, you know, discussing, you know, they're stuck on the rhetoric of it as opposed to the reality of this conversation. Look, they're, they're weak on China. They're weak on security. Do you think that if they get it wrong, that's uh, a risk they expose themselves to? That potentially is the case, but, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't. I think right now, you know, country's politics, things tend to be a little bit polarized. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of what is it that you do to play for points with your constituent base? Um, and, you know, if they succeed, that's going to be a talking point. If they fail, that's also going to be a talking point. Right. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, I, I think that's a very pragmatic take. Uh, guys, uh, thanks very much. Really a pleasure always having you on. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and already looking forward to having you guys back on again. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.